0: Yeah, you can start whenever you want.
1: Hello, I'm Colin Schindler. Oh, sorry. That's your line. Well, in a funny sort of way, because I feel I'm asking myself the questions, which is bonkers. So why don't whoever one of you two wants to do it, why don't you just start?
2: Hello, I'm Colin Schindler. Actually, I'm not. <laughs> I wish I were and had royalties...
0: It all comes down to money with you, Paddy. Honestly.
2: (laughs) Hello, my name's Patrick Barclay and I'm introducing the programme instead of Colin Schindler, author of Manchester United Ruined My Life and now the boss of the podcast you're listening to, which is called Football Ruined My Life, which is about football in the days when we grew up and Comparing it with the football of today, with me before I bring in Colin is Jonathan Holmes, Mr. Leicester City, you might say, a man who's done everything for the club, the genius behind Gary Lineker. Apart, of course, from Gary Lineker himself, but now it's time to bring in the man himself, Colin Schindler.
1: And is there a reason why you're bringing me in, and why? No, it's simply because
2: I've always wanted to be a star and introduce a programme.
0: I've
1: done it. Right, we are doing this because I want to talk in this podcast about my club from whom I have become, I have to say, estranged. It's a horrible feeling. I feel bereaved. I want to explain to everybody and to ask Paddy and John their feelings too about what has happened in football that fans like me feel alienated from the clubs they've grown up supporting because I think it's a serious problem. And we're going to use City as a starting point to discuss the wider implications of an English football division one, as we might as well call it, that is now not very English and doesn't have a lot of English players in it, very few English managers, very few English owners. John, you've had foreign involvement too in Leicester, and it's been very beneficial in many ways. But has your attitude to the club changed?
0: No, it hasn't really. We're fortunate. We have owners almost uniquely at Leicester who are regarded with affection by the supporters. I think amongst the reasons for that are clearly that they delivered the league and the cup, both of which we have not experienced before, but also their values, the way they've treated the fans, not just the free beers, their embrace of the community. It's one of the most diverse cities in England, and they have embraced that in all sorts of ways. So that's the reason why I probably don't. It's to do with, I think, this whole concept of sport washing. I can remember when we were in the process of trying to take the club out of the administration, and I was trying to raise money, and our vision was to raise all the money locally. And unfortunately, we were struggling. And my thought was, oh, at some point, some unknown millionaire or Engelbert Humperdinck will emerge and say they're going to buy the club. But neither of those things happened.
1: I don't have a problem with rich people buying clubs. I always thought that Jack Walker, who grew up on the terraces of Ewood Park, ended mm-hmm. up buying Blackburn Rovers, buying Shearer and Sutton and hiring Dalgleish and winning the championship. as was a boyhood mm. dream it must have been to him. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a romantic... Feel good story. I had no problem with that at all. Paddy, what was your response to Jack Walker in that respect?
2: Exactly the same as yours, Colin. I think it was what we would all dream of you know, being able to go to the club we loved, in Jack Walker's case, Blackburn Rovers, and later, of course, the club we played for, in the case of Dave Whelan down the road at Wigan, and make a difference, make history. But one thing I will say about football fans is that the one word you could not use in terms of them and ownership was xenophobia. Before you used the word wealthy, you used foreign. Well, Newcastle is probably the most recent example of an entire support who could not care less about the nationality. Indeed, almost rioted with pleasure when an Englishman gave way to the Saudi sovereign wealth fund but that doesn't necessarily mean it's wholly admirable. Sometimes we should care more about our ownership. Fulham, for example, is which is my local club, and Dundee, which is the club that I care about deeply, are both owned by Americans. And while we don't care in either case, I've never heard the nationality of the owners seriously being considered an issue, we do care about, the motives. And that's the way it should be. Well, you see, it bothers me that none
1: of these owners, I am not say so-called owners, but because they are owners, Mm. you know, if they'd had the pictures of the players Mm. of the clubs that they now own on the walls of their bedrooms they were growing up, fine. The fact is that none of them, not even the beloved ties of John's Blessed Leicester, would have had any relationship to the club prior to buying it other than seeing a business opportunity, which is fine, but football has opened it up to these sort of people coming in. And as a fan with some kind of moral dimension, I have to say, I can't believe that 99% of all City fans have made their peace with these human rights abusers, because that's what they are.
0: You raised a lot of points there, actually. Mm. Having been an owner small owner of a football club and chairman of a football club under local ownership. One of the things we actually lacked and needed was some dispassionate voices in the boardroom. And sometimes you actually need a reasonably dispassionate chairman or chief executive to exercise some control over outpourings of emotion and stupidity in some cases. We've all seen Certain people who professed to be owners of clubs, Mel Morris at Derby County being one, who went completely over the top. Mm. Now, I don't know how much of a fan he was. I don't know how much of it was an ego exercise, how much of it was a man who made a lot of money suddenly believing that he could run anything or do anything. But you do actually need cool heads. And one of the things I really didn't enjoy about being chairman was I was meant to have that cool head. I was meant to be the one who didn't get excited about it Mm -hmm. and said, hold on a minute, before we go and buy this player or sack this manager or sack that manager, is it the right thing to do? And the difficulty is when you're emotionally attached as you are, Colin, is to then be completely dispassionate because in the end, the fans will hate you if you get it wrong. They don't actually bloody care whether you had Dave Ewing's picture and, or <laughs> Bobby Johnston on on your wall when you are a kid. They only care about the results you're getting for the club and that means you've got a dispatcher. And actually being chairman, from my point of view, ruined being mm. a supporter. Yeah.
2: One image that came up was that of Sir John Hall, who I remember when he took over at Newcastle United he said listen I'm not you know in here to give the club money every penny I put into this club I want it back when I leave however he was a I think he was a Newcastle United supporter but he was certainly a Geordie nationalist he believed in the Newcastle nation he he talked about the George he talked a lot of twaddle about the Geordie nation he did he did he talked a lot of twaddle but it was honest twaddle there is something special about Newcastle and Duly, when he left, he took his money back after providing the unforgettable Kevin Keegan era. So that, in a way, despite the twaddle, he did keep a cool head. The club did not go into debt. Yes, I was never wanting
1: to run Manchester City at all. I may make that perfectly clear. That <laughs> was never my intention. But you wanted
2: somebody like you, a rich version of you, to run yes, it, didn't you?
1: that's a very good point. Yes, that's exactly yeah. that, because I just feel that's the added difference. And, you know, I just feel it may not be true in the case of of our mob, that they will see another business opportunity and suddenly this one won't look so promising, so they'll just junk it in favour of the next one. But that's the point. We don't do that. And I'm still committed to the club if I'm not committed to the team. I'm committed to the history of the club and to the idea of the club and to Manchester. But I suppose I have an incredibly localised view of Manchester City.
0: Mm. I don't know why people would support City if they lived in Bolton, let alone in Kuala Lumpur. Well, again, this is another example that actually what has happened is that television has taken the clubs from the property of the community into the wider world. You know, nowadays you walk through any town in the country and the kids no longer wear the shirts of their local side, which I find sad. My view is that owners of the clubs are custodians for the time being. My chief operating officer, when I was chairman at Leicester, said to me on one occasion, without the heritage, the club is nothing. And I think that's absolutely true. The heritage is what a club is all about. Mm-hmm. It's not about the here and now. It's about the past and so on. Yes. Now, we've talked a wee bit of sport washing a wee bit. You've got a lot of examples of that now. And this has come down to regimes and so on. But also to a degree, I think, with certain people that they wish to make themselves more popular. I remember when Robert Maxwell bought Derby County and he bought Oxford. And somebody said to me, he says he wants to buy Manchester United now. I said, the guy wants to do this because he's got the money, he thinks. We knew later, of course, he hasn't got the money. But it was all about extending his ego and so on. It wasn't actually about protecting the heritage of the club. It's sport washing in a way. And now it's become accepted practice for one or two evil regimes. Manchester City's not just under the current ownership. They were previously owned by Shinawatra, another tie, a less popular tie than Leicester have.
1: That's exactly my point. The owner of my club was on the top 10 list of most wanted men issued by Amnesty International. And I found that deeply, deeply embarrassing and humiliating. Had plenty of humiliating and embarrassing experiences previously as a city supporter. Most of
0: them involved 6-0 defeats. Well, there are plenty of them going back
1: (laughs) to 9-2 at West Bromwich Albion in 1957. But nothing remotely like that. I was embarrassed to be a city supporter.
2: I think we should stay on sports washing, actually. (sighs) Let me ask you a, a sort of hypothetical question. If your club had been stimulated in the same way by Roman Abramovich, would you have felt the same sense of disgust as you feel now?
1: I think I would have felt less disgust. If he's in league with Putin, this is not a man I would care to have dinner with. Yes.
2: On the other hand, he doesn't put people in prison. The point is, do you think that sports washing is worse when it's done by a state, than when it's being done by an individual who's washing his face by pretending to be a nobleman in the English home counties and owner of Chelsea football. Yes, absolutely I do. Because
1: what really, really turned me off Abu Dhabi was the moment when they threw a PhD student into prison for life. Mm. He'd gone out there to research, oddly, I have to say, even at the time I was a bit surprised he would choose to do that. But he'd gone out to start doing research for a PhD. He had either asked the wrong questions, shown up at the wrong place, consorted with the wrong people, and within seconds he was on trial, found guilty and thrown into prison for life. It was such a terrible, terrible thing they did to him that that the sheer volume of public opinion throughout the world got him released and and deported about four days later. But the Uh, fact that they could even do it, of course, having been a PhD student my sympathies were with the PhD student. And I just thought any regime that could do that, I don't want us owning my football club. How many
2: other Middle Eastern states would you not want to, to have anything to do with I don't
1: want class? any state that isn't a democracy, shall we say. I mean, you know, it's to make it very crude. But they're all using football as a means of sports washing. Nobody's denying it, really. I mean, no fan of Newcastle United would deny that the reason that MBS has taken over Newcastle is for exactly that reason. The point is, they've been so deprived for so long that they don't care. And uh, my sympathies are with them, but not entirely, because I don't think I could adjust myself to the idea of somebody who's just killed eight. I notice,
0: Colin, you're making this sort of division between individuals. Peter Swales was pretty, <laughs> pretty awful fella.
1: He didn't put anybody in prison.
0: He didn't kill anyone. Um Franny Lee, I actually felt a bit sorry for when he took over the club. I think he did it for the right reasons. Yes. I think it was an example of doing it for emotional reasons and lacking rationality. I remember Derek Dugan took over Wolves at one stage. Sea of emotion, all the rest of it, all went pear-shaped. I actually think in most cases, Americans are not bad owners of clubs. The Americans treat sport differently. Britain invented these sports and took them all over the world. The Americans are not very good actually at exporting their sports. Mm -hmm. But they twigged quite early on that sport had to be commercial to grow. They didn't allow clubs, as it were, to grow. And they have moderators at the top of their sport. They have chief executives. The leagues rather than the clubs have the power. Now, often what they don't understand, the Americans, as we know, is that one of the essential elements about football is the jeopardy and the fact that closed leagues are not good. Our league is popular around the world because of the jeopardy element. Often the last afternoon of the season is as dramatic at the top as it is at the bottom. You know, goals going in at the last minute. The Americans do not understand that. The draft system for uh, players is very good because it spreads it around. And it's one of the things we admire, isn't it? Because we don't like the fact that it's now become almost impossible for anyone outside the top six to win it. There was a side who won it from outside the top six. Who were they called? Nottingham Forest, wasn't it? No, no, no. That was a long time ago. That was prior to American ownership. But the point I'm making is Americans actually have been better owners in that they have introduced new disciplines, better marketing, a lot of good ideas about facilities and grounds and the ways to merchandise the sport and so on. So foreign influence, in many ways, is good. But you're not going to make yourself very popular in the Stretford area of... Greater Manchester by saying that. Of course, there are good owners and bad owners. Yeah, yeah, I
1: think Fenway Sports Group have done a very good job with Liverpool, I would imagine. Well, they point. have,
0: although they were one of the principal architects of the Super League. Ah, well, that's... And I think at that point, they realised that maybe this isn't for us, yeah. which is fair enough. That's my next
1: observation. The reason that City joined it is because along with all the other owners, they don't really understand English football. And the reason they got out of it so quickly And I've got a friend of mine who says, oh, look how wonderful they were. They were out within 24 hours. Yeah, because they saw that the whole point about sports washing is you don't wash your sport in dirty water, which is what they were then doing. And it's not (laughs) gone away. It's going to come back again. That whole idea of what you were saying about the security of having just the top teams playing each other indefinitely with no promotional relegation. I don't think they've lost their desire for that. It's going to be difficult to achieve, but that's what they want.
2: I think they will achieve it eventually, but... It will take a long, long time as the reaction last time proved. But eventually the Americans, I think, will be the most resilient owners, partly because their money has to have somewhere to go and they can't do takeovers of the kind they do in English football in American sport because it's illegal. And eventually, I think that the Americans will own enough of English football to remove jeopardy and then do it in Europe. I wish I didn't believe this. It turns my stomach to say it, but I just can't see it ending any other way.
1: Well, I do feel sometimes, I've been around long enough, like you two, that the game that I grew up loving, Mm. that game is gone. That game doesn't exist anymore, really. What drew me to football was its local nature identification with the local community and that's the the antithesis of where football
0: is going it's some of it it's not all of it the fact is i still get a tremendous thrill out of the skill of the players seeing goal go in hearing your side of winning it lifts your mood and everything else i agree with you about the community thing and so on but when we had owners that I didn't approve of as much, my reaction to Mandrich was that I never went anywhere near it. I didn't go near the corporate area. I didn't go in the boardroom. Now I'm quite happy, I confess, to go in the boardroom before and after the game. Mm-hmm. They have genuine supporters, plus the executives of the club, who I believe have the best interests of the club at heart and have promoted the club in a good way. So I'm happy in their company. And it helps me meet old friends who come from other clubs and so on, because there are people who are genuine followers of clubs. Mike Summerbooth goes round with Manchester City week in, week out, home and away. Mm. And it's nice to catch up with him when Manchester City come. There are distances in which you get involved. A fan is a fan. They love the football. They love their community and so on. The ownership, they're custodians. They will go.
1: Well, the sooner the better,
2: as far as I'm concerned. Colin, I do feel a lot of sympathy because you've been consistent on this subject for as long as I've known you. I have another friend who's of Manchester City persuasion, and he kind of despises what Manchester City has become, and neither of you are is alone. But I feel sympathy for you because I go to Fulham, and Fulham's like it always was, only better. I go into the Archibald Leach stand that Fulham fans went into a century ago, the same stand. I watch football, which I suspect is better, certainly on a better pitch, and I just love it. I can't imagine a better experience of football watching. I honestly couldn't. When I go up to Scotland, then Spark Dundee is still exactly as I left it 60 years ago and not in a good way. But it is still the way it was. And the fans, every single one of them, are dyed in the wool. Even the little kids, they're there because their granddad was Dundee. It does still exist. Last season, I went down to Corinthian casuals ground to watch the Kingstonian. And try and tell someone that the spirit of football doesn't live on there. You've got fans selling raffle tickets on the way in. I wonder if you shouldn't find yourself a second club.
1: That's a very good point. It's an indication that I can't do that.
2: Mm-hmm. My club is
1: Manchester City. It always yeah. has been, and it always will be.
2: Yeah. And
1: I yeah. can't do, I mean, you know, I don't believe people who've got, well, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not looking at you, Paddy, because I know it's different, but people <laughs> three clubs, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I find that a difficult concept to get hold of. Manchester City mm. is me. I mm. look at the, those letters arranged in that format, and I see me. And now one of the things that's really interesting is when I look at the team, which I am very happy to say, Manchester City have the best collection of players in my lifetime. No Mm. question. Mm. This is not an attack on their football. Their football is magnificent. Mm -hmm. But it's the fact that I can't emotionally identify with them and they don't represent me. When we had a lot of duffers playing in blue shirts, one of the frustration was they did represent me. I did identify with them. (laughs) I mean, not because they were Duffers, but because they were City. That's my club, and I was completely behind them. Now we've got this fabulous team, which is winning lots of trophies, and I can't share any of the pleasures. And I do feel bereaved, because whatever it was I was committed to feels, if it's not
2: dead, it's stunned. They're Mm. not me anymore. You don't feel that way, John, at all about Filbert Street.
0: About the old ground. Yeah, I don't don't regret the passing of the old ground. That was a a dreadful ground. I remember, if I can digress into a story, a marketing story, you may recall that Gary Lineker has an association with Walkers Crisps, Mm. who are a Leicester business. Mm. At one point, thinking of ideas to promote it, I came up with the idea with the editor of a, a national newspaper, That we produce an April Fool stunt saying that Gary Lineker was going to buy the club, which is a ludicrous concept. He hadn't got anywhere near enough money to buy (laughs) the club or anything like that. But fans would believe that. And because he now lived in London, he was going to move the ground to North London. And these (laughs) secret plans had been discovered in a piece of blue rolled up paper. (laughs) It was a wonderful plug for Walker's. We thought a great gimmick. The current bun thought it was a funny story. The editor thought it was a funny story. And I phoned up Walkers in Triumph to say, you know, give us another 10-year contract, a ludicrous amount of money, because I've come up with this idea to get you publicity on the front page of The Sun. I then got some ridiculous PR woman ringing me up, saying, we're worried about it. And I said, why are you worried about it? Oh, well, the fans, they love the ground. They might go upset. I said, I'm a fan. They hate the bloody <laughs> <man." Honestly. laughs> Anyway, sufficient to say, we did at the end of the day pull that off. And the Walker's contract's still running after 28 years. All right. You have no feelings
1: for Filbert Street. No. I certainly had feelings for, for Main Road. It was a tumbled down, ludicrous building mm. with none of the sides matching any of the other sides. And they went to a brand new stadium, pretty brand new, after the Commonwealth Games, mm. which is soulless. The first three or four seasons I did go, it didn't have any any atmosphere. Main Road
0: did. The Kippax did. I think it's a lovely ground, actually. I like it. I like to go to it. Can I
2: just say that I lived in Manchester, there was Old Trafford, which was a good ground. Then, you know, cantilever stand, just built for the World Cup in 1966. And then there was Main Road. But my God, I preferred Main Road. And um, the Kippax to me, is one of the two best sideways views, standing views that's ever been. One was the shelf at Tottenham, and the other was the Kippax. A whole quarter of the ground given over to standing spectators with a sideways view, actually see the game. And my goodness, the game was good, because when I first went there, there was a little inside right midfield, creative midfield player called Johnny Crossan. And there was a bold centre-half called George Heslop, but within five years, he wasn't bald because yes, he got a hair transplant. He invented, in fact, he marketed it. It was the best wig <laughs> I've ever seen. Then there was Mike Doyle, who wanted to fight with anybody, especially yep. Man United. Alan Oakes, who never wanted to fight with anybody, anybody the yeah. most equable man until Dennis Law wound him up once, and he he was haymakering him. I mean, all of this. The character about the whole place. I could talk forever. And that's before I tell you about the joy of walking down Claremont Road in Russia. Yeah. And the football was good. It wasn't good every week. But when you saw Lee, Bell, Summerby, Young crossing the halfway line, ah, oh, the excitement. Thank you, buddy. What I'd like to know, though, Colin, from you, are you just hanging on to the nostalgia side of it? Or is there something about the morality that has put you off? I suspect it's the latter.
1: There's no question it's the latter. I mean, I won't deny there's an element of nostalgia. When we talk about those players you've talked about and and the, the ground that I used to adore, it was my second home for so long, obviously that's nostalgia. But the reason I don't go and watch Manchester City anymore and the reason that the defeats, rare as they may be, do not hurt in the way they should Mm. is because of the morality of the owners.
0: But you watch them on TV, don't you, Colin? You don't miss it when they're on TV. I tend to watch the highlights.
1: I tend not to sit down and watch 90 minutes.
0: But you know enough to know... Oh, I know what's going
1: on. You know enough to know
2: that they're a wonderful facility. Yes, I do know.
1: And my son, to whom I gave this romantic notion of city, Mm. and who had a miserable childhood, it was not a pleasant place to be, and he kept the faith, as we say, and it's passed on to his now 14-year-old son, my grandson, who is fanatical about it, who is Phil Foden, you know, <laughs> reconstituted. I'm great. I'm, I'm pleased that the, it's gone down through the ages. I wouldn't for a second diminish any pleasure they take from the success the city have had. I just can't bring myself to enjoy it because it doesn't give me any yeah, enjoyment. And they, that annoys my son enormously. We've
2: already accepted that there's a sort of moral blindness in football. Yeah. And I just thank God that I'm not being
0: tested on that. I'm not sure if I'd come out as well as you do, Colin. I would agree with that. And in a sense, I'm agreeing with Paddy. I think you should go and find another side. They probably have to play in another country, Paddy's lucky, mm. you see, because Dundee don't face Fulham, yes. do they? <laughs> it's theoretically possible that we could in a Champions League final. No, that's not even theoretically <laughs> possible. Paddy. But I think the difficulty is the only person in my family, either side, my mother's side or my father's side, yeah. who is not a Leicester City fan, yeah. is actually the only one who's an ordained priest. <laughs> and I continually say that this is the black sheep of the family <laughs> and that he is a disgrace. He was a Leicester fan. He went up to Leeds to University, as, a, as I did later, but he became a Leeds fan. He stayed up there. He worked up there. And at one point, he was the vicar of Beeston Hill overlooking the ground. Uh-huh. He still retains, he claims, an affection for Lester. That's probably because he fears violence or total ostracism. Every time he comes, I'm afraid I point out to him the error of his ways mm. and the fact that were he a Catholic, he would have to go into the confession. <laughs> house. But Going back further in my family, my mother's father's family moved from Sheffield Mm. and moved from being Sheffield Wednesday fans to being Leicester fans Mm. because they felt they ought to become adapted into Leicester as a town at Mm. that point. In those days, you didn't move around as much. Nowadays, it's more difficult because, of course, you watch them on television. It's much more easy to move around the country. I've not lived in Leicester for 40-odd years now, mm. yet I'm a Leicester fan. My son has never lived in Leicester in his life but considers himself to be a Leicester fan. If people
1: ask me where I live, I would have to say I live in North London currently. If people ask me where I come from, I would always say Manchester, even though, like John, I haven't lived there since I was 18 and went to university. I haven't lived there full-time, but I'm a Mancunian. Manchester shaped who I am, my attitudes to everything. My you know, sense of humour is a very Northern sense of humour. I'm a Northerner, a Mancunian and a city fan. That's who I define myself by. The idea of going off to support Queen's Park Rangers is not practicable.
2: Let me give you a, a much better idea before we move on, if we may, to the question of what actually should be done about this and you know whether the FA should be stronger. But first of all, let me make a suggestion to you. There's nothing to stop you From going to watch, uh, you live in North London, right, Highgate United, I don't know if there's such a club, in English football's 12th tier, you could be one of the 200 people who cram into their single stand. Now, you would tell them, listen, I love Manchester City, but I despise what they've become. This is great fun.
0: Why can't you do that?
1: Actually, funny you say that, Paddy, because the one club that I think I could support, because I've talked about this with my son-in-law, who's an Arsenal supporter, mm-hmm. who lives with my daughter in West Dulwich.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: they have a five-year-old granddaughter. Yeah. And yeah. he is thinking of bringing her up as a Dulwich Hamlet fan. There
2: you are. And I
1: think we could all go as a family yes. to watch Dulwich Hamlet and be very supportive of them. And yes. I think that will be fine. Yes. But, it would be in addition to, it would be supplementary to, it couldn't possibly replace the feelings I have for City, which are fundamental to my
0: very. The opinion. answer is you don't know. Because what I would say is that you can, mm. if you get into the habit, mm. you would find you would go with people, you would meet up with the same people, you Absolute. sit next to them. Absolutely. Yes, that's what Paddy Absolutely. is saying. Absolutely.
2: Yes. That's precisely what I'm saying. And what's more, you would develop favourites among the team. You'd like oh, yes. that 17-year-old boy who you can see making it one day. And that's exactly what you will find happening.
1: Yes, but. It's a supplement. I, I can't explain it more than what I'm saying. It's, it would be supplementary too. Enjoyable. And you're absolutely right. The reason to support them and the reason to get pleasure out of it mm. is to be going with my granddaughter and my son-in-law. Yes. They would
0: help you overcome your addiction. Yes. I remember, our great friend, Hugh Michael Vanny mm. said to me, football is an addiction. Yes. And he's right. Yes, the whole is. country, yes. he said is addicted to football. That's true. It's like Karl Marx who said religion was the opium of the people. Mm. I can remember at university saying to my politics lecturer when we were having a discussion about Marxism, as we did in those far-off days, mm. I said, had Marx been writing now, he would have said football was the opium of the people. Yes.
2: You know, most of us saw that in action after the Hillsborough disaster when 96 people were killed, and the cathartic effect of the passion for Liverpool Football Club when they resumed playing. Definitely something akin to religion in action. But might I make, ask a question? Because in a sense, we're trying to solve Colin's problem, and we don't have long to go.
1: No, I'm 73, Paddy. We have got very little time <laughs> to say.
2: <laughs> I was thinking of before we end the podcast, but I take your point. If we can finish the podcast, personally, I should consider I've done rather well. Now, the only thing that can cure your malady, Colin, is that if we had a strong FA yeah. or an authority in football, yeah. which was able, and in a sense, it's easier said than done, to vet owners so that only people who shared the values that we cherish and and so on. They're not just in terms of sovereign wealth funds of countries that Colin doesn't approve of, but also, for example, all the money that's thrown into football by gambling. I was at the dinner of the Football Supporters Association recently, and it was sponsored not by a gambling company, which most things in football are, but by an anti-gambling organisation. So in other words, if the FA were to bring about a cleansing of the game in every way, that would solve your problem. Yeah, but it probably would. Is it possible? Dare you dream of that? Yes. And John, am I being
0: hopelessly unrealistic? I'm afraid you are, sadly without some form of revolution. Mm. There was talk, wasn't there, when Chelsea, when Abramovich went and all the rest, that the club would either be liquidated or almost nationalised. Should there be a commissioner, a moderator in charge of the sport? We recently had this fans' inquiry initiated by Tracy Crouch. And I remember I was rung by Greg Clark, the former chairman of the FA and the Football League and said, would I take part? Mm -hmm. And I said to him, no, because it won't go through. Political parties are far too worried about public opinion Mm -hmm. to ever go for anything that fundamental. We live in a capitalist society and we have to accept it. This morning, I was driving from my house into Newark and the road was dug up. Mm -hmm. It was dug up by the Seven Trent Water Authority, I said to my wife, you know, Seven Trent are partially owned by the Qataris. Mm. And she goes, how come? I said, because that is the world we live in. That is where privatization, globalization comes in. If you've said, you know, we live in this capitalist society, then I'm afraid the bigger will get bigger. It's why American sports sealed. They're not global. The NFL is only played in America. We're in a global world in football, so we can't stop it. Much as I sympathise with all that Colin says, I would have to say to you, Colin, come on, grow up. None of us got that long to live now. Go along, enjoy those fantastic players that Manchester City have got. You should be able to watch and enjoy Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne. These are terrific, terrific players. But growing up, John, is what I've done. That's the problem. (laughs) Yes. I've grown up. (laughs) <laughs> and I see football
1: for what it is. And I see the problems that have been created. And that's
0: affected everything else. Listen, when Leicester scored the winning goal in the cup final, when Taylor was shot from whatever it was, and the ball went in the net and I was... At the age of 70, whatever it is, I had a heart attack three days later as a result of this kind of thing. (laughs) I went back all those years to 1961 Mm. and I sent a picture, I think you probably saw it, of me outside my grandfather's house going to Wembley in 1961. There we were and I returned to being a child again because of the joy of seeing a footballer who prayed for my team score a terrific goal and win the FA Cup. Fantastic. You should enjoy it. You know what? We can all get too serious about some of these things. One surveys the world as a whole. There's enough bad things coming about. Let's celebrate the good things. You should be celebrating Kevin De Bruyne. Actually, unfortunately, you should be celebrating Riyad Mahrez, who you nicked off as our best ever player, who plays on your bench. I can't (laughs) believe it, but there you are.
1: Nothing would give me more pleasure than to return to those days of simple, innocent pleasures of supporting sitting and watching them win. Sadly, I don't see that happening anytime soon, as you don't see the game changing anytime soon, or going smaller. Football reminds me of the Aesop fable about the frog. In order to impress everybody, she kept blowing herself up and blowing herself up and blowing herself up. And guess what? At one point she explodes. And I think it'd be great if football blew itself up in that way and we could start again, we will probably have a much better game.
0: Paddy introduced this programme, so I'm going to finish it off. This has been the latest edition of Football Ruined My Life. He certainly ruined Colin's, <laughs> he would have us believe. It's not ruined mine, it's made it very joyful, and I believe Paddy Barthes not only made him joyful, it's made his bank manager joyful as well. <laughs> From this edition of Football Ruined My Life, see you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Paddy.
2: to be quite honest I found it very moving listening to Colin because I don't know anybody else that principled in football I honestly don't well that's a decision
1: for you and your conscience isn't it (laughs) (laughs) guilty
0: as charged
1: reached this point, you will have noticed that no mention was made during the podcast of the array of 115 charges made by the FA Premier League and laid at the door of Manchester City's well-compensated lawyers. The reason for that is the programme was recorded before those charges were laid. You know what we think about Manchester City. We want to know what you think about Manchester City and these charges, even if they won't be resolved for years to come. Please email us at Football ruin my life at gmail.com. That's football ruin my life, all one word, at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.